0: So glad that you joined us today. Please be seated. You can get your Bibles out. I want to begin with a confession, a personal confession this morning. And um, that, this is very personal. And that is, I hate pickles. Pickles. Uh, I really do. I, I think they're despicable. In fact, uh, you know, very, very often I will um, order something that has no pickles and unfortunately I get double pickles. I hate the texture. I hate the smell. I hate the taste. Uh, even after the fact that I order it without pickles, that when it shows up and then you say, well, why wouldn't you just take it off? Because it contaminates everything, right? I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You, you know, it's, it's funny for me that I, I'm, I'm not kidding around that I, I, I have a real issue with pickles. In fact, friends... Realize this, so they do despicable things like send me those giant pickles or pickled toothpaste. That's a thing, you didn't, you didn't know this. If you didn't know this, don't buy me one. For me, I uh, they're gross, right? You know, you guys, you guys hear me, and, and there's a part of this where you say, obviously, the pickle is a choice, right? And I wanna begin with you this morning as we prepare our hearts to study God's word together, that that what I'm afraid of when it comes to our commitment to understanding God's word is that there's a part of us sometimes that thinks of it like a choice. That we get to pick and choose what we like, what's our preference, and I know that there's some some of you will be evangelistic about the fact that I haven't tried the right pickle. You're wrong. You know. You know, that, that there's a part of us that wants other people to carry the same preferences. But today as we study God's God's Word together, one of the things that I want to wrestle with as we continue on in our series that we're called Discover, and and asking the question, what does it mean for us to understand God's Word for ourselves? That we have these cliches that we say in our society, I don't even know what this one means, whatever floats your boat, right? Right. Uh, we have other versions of that 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 just imply that, you know, whatever it is that you appreciate, what you prefer, what your preferences are. And I'll, I'll be the first to accept that maybe just some of you, it's okay that you like pickles. I just don't need to eat them, right? But in our life, when it comes to sitting before the God of the universe, there's a part of us understanding his truth, that we want to be people that take him at his word. And we also want to be people that understand like the words of King David, when he says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, that God's, God's word is not a matter of my preference. It's not a matter of me standing back and saying, which do I like, which ones don't I like? But instead, God's word is an ability for me to stand back and to say, Lord, what do you want to say to me about yourself? What do you want to teach me about myself? What do you want to instill inside of my life to allow me to be someone who submits to your global positioning system? And I'll remind you, you guys know the GPS on your phones, right? Some of you knew the old days of the GPS when if you made the wrong turn, it used that like annoyed recalculating voice. You guys know what I'm talking about. I want to be a person who's committed my life to saying, Lord, Because you said so, that's the way I make the decisions in my life, not because I prefer it that way. And this morning, as we study God's word together, I'm going to encourage you to look at this incredible passage of scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 55. These words are so encouraging to me. And these, these words declare something that is so helpful for me when I think about God's provision and his provision spe- specifically with his word. He says this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth. Wait, that sounds like Northeast Ohio, doesn't it? Rain and snow. Making it bring forth and sprout. Now that sounds like spring. Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be. That goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know what God's saying there is? You can't shut me up. You, you can't ignore my truth. My truth is good. And, and I, I shared this several months ago, but I want to do it again. There was an article in GQ that's quite fascinating to me. You remember this. I shared it from the pulpit here. And it was, it, the title of the article was 21 Books That You Don't Have to Read. And and at first you think, what in the world is this? And they ran through a bunch of different books. But the point was, these are either irrelevant or unnecessary. They're burdensome. But I want you to just see the words of Jesse Ball, the author who listed the Holy Bible as number 12. He says this, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all of the people who supposedly live by it, but who in actuality have not read it. And I read those words and I say, that's pretty condemning, isn't it? If we say that it's God's word, if we say that we want to be people who want to live by it, the challenge for each one of us is to be people who actually work to understand it. And you know, some, somebody said this last week. You guys have been great. I've loved our inter- exchanges after services. And um, somebody said, do I have to have a seminary degree to be able to understand the truth of God's word? no. I actually think the ability to understand the truth of God's word just really begins with our ability to just read it, to spend time in it, to put it in its context and to, to begin also. And this is incredible to me where, where I begin before I ever open the truth of God's word in my own life is I say, Lord, I believe that you have something that you want to say to me. Please allow me to listen to your voice. So the author of God's word, the Holy Spirit, allows us to have access to his truth. Isn't that beautiful? And so we find ourselves exposed to his truth, not just because we want to learn or because of our ability to study, but instead because of the fact that he's intimately involved in the process of us understanding his truth. You remember this, 2 Peter one twenty one says that nothing no prophecy, no scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men who spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I love this. This is so encouraging to me that the same Holy Spirit that inspired God's word, the first point this morning, the same Holy Spirit that inspired God's word helps us to accurately understand it. That. that should encourage you. If your conviction is, I really want to get this right, I want to remind you, God wants you to get this right as well. And so as we stand before him and we say, Lord, I, I want to learn from you. The Lord Jesus said this about his Holy Spirit, that in John sixteen thirteen he says this, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, in other words, he's referencing Pentecost, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I just love that truth. So he's saying to you, you can trust me. I've got this. We're going to work through this together. And it's appropriate as we've been working on growing in our ability to discover God's truth for ourselves. No, it doesn't require seminary degree. But it does require us to be honest with ourselves. So we're we're taking a thing that happened there and then through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we're bridging that gap into understanding the uniqueness of the world that you and I live in today. So, in full confession, I cannot find a verse that says that pickles are bad, you know? And that's okay, right? Because God's word doesn't teach that principle. But what scares me about the way that many of us approach God's Word is that we begin with a premise of our preferences. And then we say, Lord, I want to find something that supports that truth. And instead, what we're trying to do is to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? So I love this image of a bridge. It's in Turkey. Uh, They say that it dates back to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he may have walked across this in the region that that Jesus lived in. And and there's this, this, this beautiful image for me as I wrestle with interpreting scripture accurately is that we want to be people who understand that there was a there and then. There was a context, a culture And so as we talk about controversial things, um, that like tattoos or head coverings or things that happen in, in history that we stand back and we say, wait, Lord, what do you, you want to teach me about this? It's appropriate for us to understand, wait, what was going on in the time period that that was written? What was the, the purpose behind that? But what it doesn't do is it doesn't remove the authority of God's word in our life. We don't chuck everything out because of the fact that we're wrestling with what is the authority, what is the, what is the passage saying to us, what is it teaching to us? us. And so I find ourselves, we find ourselves standing and saying, Holy Spirit, enlighten me. Help me to understand your word. And and the second thing that, that flows out of the text for me this morning is that all scripture is profitable, but it's okay to say that it's not all profitable in the same way. That there were books that were written in scripture that were written for different purposes. Uh, There were some that record details in history that were very helpful and can be, truth can be gleaned out of them. But for others, there's times when you look back on them and you say, this is amazing. This is speaking specifically to the moment that I'm going through in my life. And I I want to remind you, as we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that God cares about us understanding his truth. He loves you enough to communicate to you through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so this isn't a discouraging thing. Instead, this is a time where we stand back and we say, Lord, I want to learn from you. I want to understand your truth. I don't want to trust that you care about me getting this right. And so when we say all scripture is profitable, it's appropriate for us, though, to look at times In history where we say that was in a different time period that held a little different application than maybe what it does for me today. But it's appropriate for us to remember at the same time what 2 Timothy 3.16 teaches, and that is all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So yes, when you've gone through the the Bible in a year and you've made it to that point where you're saying this isn't as easy for me to read or this is complicated or this is challenging or I don't understand that. I don't think that that's an excuse for us to take the exit ramp and give up on studying God's word. But instead, I think that it's an opportunity for us to say, help me to understand what you want to teach me through this. How can you help me bridge that gap? I want to give you five quick ways that have been very helpful for me as I strive to interpret God's word. This is going to be a bit of um, a rehash of things that we've talked about. But the first one is that good interpretation works to understand what principles from scripture are applicable across times and cultures. So, so we teased last week about, and we've been talking about greeting one another with a holy kiss, and, and, I, and I joked with you guys last week, somebody gave me a whole bag of Hershey kisses that was very kind of him, uh, and my family ate them all, which was nice of them, uh, but uh, actually somebody afterwards said, I was hoping you were going to forget those, you know? So, so holy kiss, um, th- this, this cultural recognition of, of gratitude, of greeting, of appreciation, of welcome. That we understand that the principle behind it is still something that's consistent. So the student of God's word looks at this truth and they say, are we disobeying God's word? Are we understanding it in its context? And I've shared with you, there are places today, it's not just time bound, but culture bound that we've been greeted with holy kisses and it was appropriate and it felt very kind and, and there was a greeting associated with that. And there's other places like Northeast Ohio where it feel very awkward, Right. Uh, Maybe the Hershey Kisses work, though. I guess that works. The, The concept behind it is that we understand principles from Scripture that are applicable across times and culture. We'll talk about a few of those this morning. But good interpretation, the second thought when it comes to interpretation, is that it's based on understanding the author's intent. What were they trying to communicate? What did they... Want originally people to understand. Oftentimes, we'll study passages of Scripture where there was a very timely issue at hand, a theological issue that was being addressed, and it, we can glean powerful truths from it, but it's helpful for us to try to understand what was originally being communicated and who it was written to. A third thought is the meaning must be derived to be consistent with all the other teachings of Scripture. That's a wonderful truth. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Uh, The fourth thing is it's important to distinguish between the sometimes and the always. Uh, We'll talk a bit today about feet washing. And uh, as far as I can tell, none of you washed anybody else's feet when you came in today. Uh, But there was a time period when Jesus encouraged his disciples to do just that. And, and so there was a there was a principle, there's a concept that that Jesus taught them, um, but that again that sometimes may not necessarily mean always, and it may mean something that's different in the way that we live our lives today, the way we eat, even the way we um, the way we put socks on and the kinds of shoes that we put on. And so, in the midst of that process, it shouldn't discourage us that it's so different, but instead it allows us to just understand. The sometimes versus the always. And finally, texts can have only one meaning, but it's important for us to remember they can have many different applications. So, God's word has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Isn't that a great news? And so, he's provided for us, are you guys still awake? All right, a few of you are. Okay, that's good. So, he's provided for us what we need, but Um, It's important for us to remember a third point this morning is that even the most complex challenges in interpretation, they can be handled well with good interpretation principles. And some of you say, does God's word really need to be handled? Well, actually, uh, Paul challenged Timothy that very way. He said, to rightly handle the word of truth. That's really what this series is all about. It's us being able to say, Lord, you've asked me to understand your truth. I want to be someone who handles it rightly. One of the ways that people can handle the word of truth wrongly is to misinterpret in scripture when something ought to be taken literally, when it is, um, might be taken figuratively, or something that might be taken figuratively that some have taken literally. Let me give an example of that. So, so the book Song of Solomon is in our Bibles, and Song of Solomon is uh, probably rated PG-13. If you read that passage, some of you have read it, and you are shaking your head, you know that, that this book talks about the intimacy of a couple, and it talks about their honeymoon, and what it means to be in an exclusive marriage, marriage relationship. And, uh, and there's this description of a honeymoon and, and you read all of this. And um, what's fascinating to me is that historically there have been times when people looked at that and they said, there's no way that God's word would contain something like that. So what they chose to do is to allegorize it. So to say, well that can't mean what it looks like it means. So what we'll make that mean is that we'll say that that's when Jesus says that he loves the church like Christ or love, loves or so like Christ loves his church, love your wives like Christ loves their church. That that there's this 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 description that must be what it means. Well, what's hard about that is that is that the context and the way it's described it really seems to be communicating that God was just talking about a meaningful intimate relationship. And for some reason, in God's infinite wisdom, he sees the value of that and these principles that we can glean from from understanding what it means to have foxes that creep in in the vineyard of our marriages and relationships and destroy. There's so many principles that come out of it. So what some did, and and some of us that may be guilty of this, is have you ever sung the song, he brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love? Who's sung the song? Now, that song comes right out of the pages of Song of Solomon. And if you put it in its context, it's a little bit awkward. And, and the reason why it is, is that it, it was at one time, someone interpreted that and they said, that can't mean what, and so it, as you read it, there's a, there's a recognition. Hey, let's, let's be careful. Let's recognize what the context is and let's see if it seems to be when it comes to figuring out figurative language one of the things that we can do is we can say, we're going to take it literally. This is a good principle for me and for you, the student of God's word. We take it literally when there's reason, when there's a good reason. Uh, we, we take the Bible literally unless there is a good reason not to. The, the second thought when it comes to literal versus figurative language and understanding that is there's some reasons that we just don't take a verse completely literally Sometimes there's visions and dreams, some of the uh, beautiful imagery and revelation. uh, You read those and and as you read it, you recognize that there's this imagery that's very helpful and it's describing ideas like in Daniel chapter 11, where it mentions a tree that's so big that it could be seen all over the earth. I think that the, the vision, the 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 communication that's being intended is to say it's a really big tree, or it's the expanse of the strength of God's presence, or you you look at it and you interpret it not necessarily specifically, literally. That's if it's a vision or dream. Another way that we can interpret something that is uh, figurative is if it's its application is absurd or it's impossible. In Matthew chapter 5, 29, you've heard this before. That the Lord Jesus taught this truth: if your eye causes you to sin, what did He say for us to do to it? Gouge it out. Now I'm looking around. It look, looks like most of you have two eyes in here. So, 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 does that mean that your eye has never caused any of you to sin? I'm guessing that that's not the case. So so what we understand when we say this is that we understand that Jesus was saying something that was quite profound. Hey, by the way, some people have literally interpreted that. You can look it up online. And they were so frustrated with their sin that they literally uh, took their own eyesight. Because I, I don't think that's what D Jesus was teaching. The, the, the point that Jesus was teaching to us is we take sin really seriously, Right? That if we don't take sin really seriously, that it has the potential of doing great damage in our lives, right? And so so when we read that, it ought to be through good observation and understanding. We understand that Jesus, maybe he was using a bit of hyperbole or he was describing something in a way where he's, he's proving this truth in such a way to allow us to stand back and say, wow, he really wants me to take that seriously. So, so when it comes to this, uh, I think it's appropriate for us to remember if the application is impossible or or absurd. Uh, Another thing that we have to pay attention to is if the literal meaning involves immorality or sin. Uh, It's fascinating. In John chapter 6, 53 through 55, it describes a person eating Jesus's flesh and drinking his blood. It's quite grotesque. And you first read it on the outside. And actually in the early church, they accused Christians of being cannibals. And some of it was misunderstanding what is being taught. The very exercise that you and I just took when we talk about eating this body and drinking this, this cup, what we're doing is honoring what Jesus instituted in the process of the Eucharist or the Lord's table. And so, so the misunderstanding of it, if it's absurd or does it make sense or if it contradicts the truth of God's scripture. Remember, I keep saying, we want to always use scripture to interpret scripture that what helps us in that process is to understand then specifically, yeah, that's this is probably what he means for us to understand. This helps us. So Pastor Jim, when he leads us in the Lord's table this morning, one of the things that he did was he drew us to an understanding of the work of Christ through the recognition of the powerful teaching of the Lord's table. So if the context assumes it, especially In the context of prophetic literature and other ways, it's appropriate for us to stand back and to say, what is he really teaching us? What was the point? What is he attempting to express to us? So we've talked about this in other ways. Let's let's dive into the specific example of washing one another's feet. So. I want you to to look at jesus 's commandment that he gave specifically to um, those who were um, unfamiliar or those who were were um, watching watching jesus as he 's teaching them and illustrating to them what it means to have a servant 's heart the, the third point this morning is is i hope helpful and encouraging to us, and that is is that even the most complex challenges in interpretation can be understood through good interpretation principles. And so so let's focus in on the Lord uh, washing the disciples' feet. So you remember this moment in history, it was quite profound, that the disciples are, um, the, the Lord is about to go to the cross. And the disciples had been arguing previously about who was the greatest amongst them. And then the Lord Jesus, who would have been the person who is sitting in the seat of honor, takes out his outer garment. And this is a wonderful moment in history. And he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. It just would have been an incredible moment. I want you to, to see the words that, that was communicated here. It says, Jesus rose from the supper... He laid aside his outer garment, he takes the towel, he ties it around his waist, and he pours water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And then Jesus goes on to say in John 13, verses 14 and 15, he says, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So as we've been going through this process, let's use this as an exercise for us that it's appropriate for us to to understand. And let's think back about the moment that Jesus is teaching this lesson to the disciples. He is sitting at a table that's unlike the d- dining table that you are about to sit in at Bob Evans. Some of you are hungry, right? It's about that lunchtime. We, we usually sit on higher tables. The way that they would have sat would have been more like crisscross applesauce. I don't even know what that means, but you guys know what I'm talking about. In, in that, uh, he's going to sit and they're going to sit in such a way that their feet are very close to their food. Uh, they're used to wearing sandals that were open toed. And so there's this griminess, this recognition that my food and my, what I'm eating is, uh, what I'm eating and what I've been walking in is uh, right next to each other. And so. This process of cleaning your feet would have been very natural. For you and I, we use a little different way to get around, don't we? And not too many of us walked to church this morning. And so when, when Jesus talks about this to the disciples, it helps us when we look back in this moment to see specifically what his encounter was with the Apostle Peter. I want you to see this. It's really interesting to me. So, so Peter is interacting with Christ and Peter, as he's going through the process of being, uh, having his feet clean, he resisted originally Jesus cleaning his feet. And then after Jesus explained to him what it means to be washed by Christ, he says this Lord, not my feet, but only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is completely clean and you are clean. So we read this and we say, oh no, what's Jesus talking about? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the forgiveness that comes when you're cleaned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that that happens through his blood, right? That happens through the work that he does on our behalf. And that cleanliness doesn't need to be constantly redone. But it's done because of the work of Christ. So here in this moment in history, what some have done is they've looked at this and they've said, we need to be people who wash each other's feet. Uh, Some of you are like, let's sign up for it. Others of you are like, no way. I'm not touching somebody else's feet. Partially because of the fact that it's so culturally distant from the world that you and I live in. But what I want to remind you, we don't want to miss this, is what I want to remind you is at the core of all of this is the work that Christ can do to eternally clean you and I. Do you remember what the text says? That we can be as white as snow. Right? So the cleansing of Christ is a little bit more than just cleaning dirty feet before you sit at the table. But it's an understanding of the work of Christ. This is illustrated beautifully in the Lord's table. We took it together. I won't read all of the verses, but I'll just remind you. So that other example, we don't do that every Sunday. Now, would it be appropriate at times for us to wash each other's feet? I think so. If we remembered the work of Christ, I think so. But I don't think it's something that we do once a month or uh, that we do out of habit or tradition because of this fact. Let's use the example of the Lord's table. So the Lord's table, as it's described in scripture, the disciples had come in, the Lord Jesus institutes this powerful recognition of the work of the body and blood of Christ that was about to take place on the cross. And then Jesus Jesus talks about this very specifically. He He says that I'm going to go and then he talks about after he gives thanks, that's where we get the word Eucharist from. It's the Greek term for giving thanks. So he gives thanks for the body And blood that's about to be broken, and and some have gotten hung up on this. Like uh, it was kind of funny during the the COVID chaos at home, and we're all stuck at home. Somebody reached out and they said, "Okay, I don't have grape juice, or I don't have wine, or uh, is it okay if I use Kool Aid to take the Lord's table?" and and there's a, there's a moment where you're like, okay, that's weird. I've had a lots of different versions of crackers as well. But, but do you understand at the at the base of this, what he's trying to illustrate for us is that we recognize the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his body was broken, that, that through this illustration and this image of us taking the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're reminded of the fact that his blood was spilled out on our behalf. And so you might get hung up on the type and the style and the details and the logistics, but at the end of the day, I think really what Jesus wants us to do is to remember the work of the cross. So here we see in the text this description. Jesus describes later in verse um, verse 19, if we look forward on this, he says, and he took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And so so here, he has this description of what Christ was going to do on the cross, and we pause, and we stand back, and we recognize it. Well, later in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there's going to be a rebuke of the church for not doing this appropriately. And it gives us a hint that this became a pattern in the local church, that they took this so seriously that they recognized that it was something that God had ordained for the church to do. And so that's why you and I just did it a couple of minutes ago, is that we, we look at this and we interpret this and we say, yes, that was a there and then, and that was for a unique time period, but it continues to serve an incredible purpose for us if we do it right, to remember the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just an example. So, so scripture can be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path if we allow it to. Um, but it's something that we have to be sensitive to. This is a warning that comes out of Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 7. And I, I, when I teased about my pickle theology earlier, you know, that I pick and choose what I like or that I look at my preferences and taste and it's about me. I, I think there's a warning here. Uh, and this is a powerful warning that comes from God's word that he warns us in Galatians 1 to avoid that slippery slope that leads to us neglecting the true gospel. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. And then he almost corrects himself, verse 7, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and who want to distort The gospel of Christ. In other words, they want to confuse the message. They want to draw you away from the truth of the work of the cross. And so there's, there's a ton of those things that can happen. There are things that can draw us away from dependence and obedience to the truth of God's word. I I just want to focus in on one of those controversial topics. Mentioned it last week. We'll mention it again this week. And one of those is the topic of tattoos, I thought some of you were thinking he was going to forget about it. Uh, so the topic of tattoos is one that's quite quite fascinating. We we know that that it, there's a there've been a number there's a number of people in the room that have tattoos and uh, for some of you you love your tattoos. For some of you you regret your tattoos. There's some bad tattoos out there, aren't there? Uh, There's some great tattoos out there as well. And I I think for some of you, you have seen this passage of scripture before. Maybe it's been used on you before. Where the passage of scripture that is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28, it says this. It feels like it's pretty blunt. It's pretty direct. It says, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoos yourself. And then, um, I am the Lord. It's almost like, thus saith the Lord, right? And and so, at, at the first moment, we look at this, and for some of you, you read that verse, and you say, well, then it's, it's just a done deal. It's really crystal clear. But it's appropriate for us to understand, where is the book of Leviticus? What, what is happening in the history of Israel? What is God doing through the work of his people as he's separating from Egypt a group of people that are to be set aside wholly and separate? You guys have been in museums like I have, where you have seen the unusual practices that were done in Egypt in recognizing a person's death. You see the way they embalm people and mummify people and bury themselves with their cats and some of these things that were historically so bizarre. And so we know that that's a part of the history of this. When he says in the text that people do this for the dead or they make cuts on their body. Later uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 1, it talks about people's hair and it talks about uh, the, the, uh, this, this pattern of mourning that it's associated for doing this, this unique act uh, for the dead. It says this in Deuteronomy 14, verse one, it says, "'You are the sons of the Lord your God. "'You shall not cut yourselves "'or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead.'" So, so what's important for us to remember that that when we take a verse like this that seems to be very relevant, it's important for us to remember that it was in a context that was very different than ours. And so to make this the verse that you hang on, your no Christian should ever have a tattoo is probably inappropriate. In fact, I'll say that comfortably. It's inappropriate to do that. But what's so good about this process of us studying God's word is that there's other principles that apply when we make decisions about how we take care of our bodies. And it's appropriate for us to remember specifically that, that we're, we're told that when it comes to how we look at our bodies, how we use our bodies, that we want to be people who, um, who recognize the fact that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, according to First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's a powerful statement. It goes on to say, but let your adorning be hidden and be. Um, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, which is very precious. These, these statements talk about what's inside of us, and they talk about the value of that. So it's important for us to remember, I want to skip back for, for the guys upstairs, that I want to skip back to some verses that are helpful for us, is that when we talk about those earlier passages what was the context that they were talking about? They were talking about mourning, right? You guys still with me? You guys still with me? So they're talking about mourning and the loss of, of people who've, left, who've, who've died before them in this practice of marking your bodies for the sake of somebody who's mourning. And then we, we run that up against the rest of Scripture. Remember, we use, interp- we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. And when we do that, what we remember is that it's been very clearly taught in passages like 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we are not like those who weep like the rest of the world when it comes to death. When it comes to death, that we understand that through the work of Christ we have a different kind of hope. And 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where is your victory? <laughs> Isn't that a great statement? O death, where is your sting? And, and I, I look at this and it helps me to understand if it's, if we're talking about mourning and the process of mourning, I think he's saying you don't need a tattoo to remember someone who's died, but you need to understand that God is the God of the universe who has the keys to, to life and to death. And so, as a Christ follower, when we read this truth, we allow ourselves to take the principle of something that was there and then, and we wrestle with what this means for our here and now. And I think it's appropriate, again, for us to be sensitive of what we communicate to the world that's around us, to be aware of what it means for us to adorn ourselves on the outside. But the question that so many of you want to ask is, is it okay for a Christian to have a tattoo and I'll just say to you, I think it's very possible to be a wonderful Christ follower and have a tattoo. It's okay. You can stay. That's good. But I also want to recognize the fact that, that we need to be wise about what we communicate, how we dress, what we do in the world that's around us, because we want them to understand our Savior, right? And so, yes, there's, there's wisdom. There's, a, there's the process, too, of us, for some of us, obeying our parents and just understanding their authority. There's, there's the process for us to recognize that this is something that, Changes our life, you know, and it's a significant thing. And I say all of this just to say, as Christ followers, we don't check our brain at the door. We don't ignore the fact that there's an opportunity for us to bring glory and honor to the Lord. And that's a that's a part of the process of being a Christ follower. But there's some of you in this room that 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 thing that you have, that tattoo, tells a story of a different chapter in your life. And I want every person to catch this. This is so important to me this morning is that what I love about the Lord that we serve is that he is the God of our past, our present, and our future. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And so for for every single person in this room that has a before coming to Christ... That there's a part of us that accepts the fact that there's things about us that we wish weren't a part of our life. And what I love about the redemptive work of Christ is that we can find ourselves, regardless of what that thing is, allowing ourselves to be able to say, Lord, I want to give this thing to you for your glory and honor. So, can God use tattoos? Of course, He can. Can He use people with tattoos? I think He does every day. Can God be glorified in those of us who are making decisions today that are about trying to lift His name high in every area of our lives? I hope that you can agree with me that he absolutely positively can. So there's an opportunity that's associated with every decision that you and I make. And I want to be a person who works very hard to season my conversations with salt, to know how to answer each person. And I have seen God use all kinds of creative ways to allow us to represent his loving kindness. So do we always get things right? Absolutely not. Do we have the potential of getting this right? I think we do. I think every area that we've talked about today, even the controversial one. So so in the context of the head coverings topic that we talked about, I'll just mention this very briefly, is that in our society today, head covering doesn't mean anything like it used to mean when it was... Uh, written in first Corinthians chapter 11. And so when we study that book together, it's going to be appropriate for us to look at it and to see what was the purpose behind it? What was its intent? But it's also appropriate for us to remember there's a ton of powerful truths that are helpful for us to understand what it means to live life in the light of a broken world and to represent his loving kindness. So the dangerous thing for us is to take a standard, regardless of what it is, and to say, you know what, that's God's standard. If that standard is not his word, if it's not his truth, if it's not his work in our lives, then what we do is we, we lower that measurement to be something that we ourselves do. You remember what Jesus warned us against? He said that it's our tendency to see the the to see the splinter in our brother's eye but to ignore the log that's in our own eye it's kind of a an intense image isn't it so i just want to encourage every one of us as we strive to discover the truth of god's word in our own life that we want to be people who understand that that controversial passages controversial challenges things like that they become less controversial when we grow in our ability and capacity to interpret scripture well. I also think it's important for us to remember that when we, when we interpret scripture poorly, we expose ourselves to some of the judgment of our society that is quite painful, but at times appropriate. When they look at us and they say we're inconsistent, that we don't take God at his word, that we pick and choose what we want to obey or to um, honor when it comes to our understanding of the truth of God's word. And so I want to encourage you, as I close this message, to be a person who loves to discover God's truth for yourself. Uh, We're going to take a break from the series next week. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to honor mothers next week. We're so thankful for you guys. And then after that, we're going to talk more about what it means for us to accurately apply God's truth in our life. And we'll do an overview of the New Testament and an overview of the Old Testament. I'm excited about that. But I want to encourage you this this challenge that was in Galatians chapter one, six through seven that that there are some in the world that we live in today that want to distort the truth of the gospel and they want to trade the true gospel with what is described as another gospel i'll read it for you one last time he says for i 'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there even is a different one, but that there are some who trouble you and who want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's very relevant to your and my world today. So we don't get to be picky when it comes to scripture. We don't get to pick and choose what we want or our preferences, but instead the honest interpreter of God's word is a person who begins quite simply with reading it, reading it in its context and taking it seriously and prayerfully asking, Lord, speak to me your truth. And if we do that, I think there's a way for us to find great confidence in the authority and clarity of the truth of God's word. That's great and great encouragement to me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. They're going to sing a, a declaration of what we believe. And I'd like to pray for each one of us as we strive to be not just hearers of the truth of God's word, but doers. Lord, we love you. And I thank you humbly for this morning. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for those who've joined us online. Uh, We recognize that today that the topic of your word and the authority of your word is something that is uh, very relevant to us today. It's very significant. We want to, as a church family, be people who hold fast to the word of truth, even when it's difficult So I just pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would continue to um, give us great wisdom and insight. I thank you for those in the room. I can think of a few that I'm so appreciative that have just said, I'm in. I just want to try. I want to take the next step. I want to grow in this area. And I just pray for them that you would feed them, that you would give them an appetite for your truth, that it would be the living word that allows them to have your lamp that is a light and to their feet and a lamp into their path, Lord, that your word would be so crystal clear to them. And I pray for those who would distort the truth of the gospel, that would attempt to teach another gospel, that would distract us away from your truth, that would accuse and to resentfully choose to undermine the things that are dear to us. I just pray, Lord, that you would allow us to have the strength to discern between good and evil. We love you. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for this chance to study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.